Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. What's up, everybody? Cannell and Bell, Tommy Tran in for Danny Cannell. We got Raja here, by the way, on the Jared Allen foul, not fine there on the update. So, again, uh, you got the gist of it of what Philly did to Brooklyn. We're going to talk about some NBA did, stuff, and that's where Did that make you feel any better that the NBA came out and said he got fouled? Does that make anyone in Brooklyn feel change, any better about the situation? change anything. So stupid. All right. We're going to talk about uh, association stuff, and let's start with the Warriors and the Clippers. Well, KD and Pat Beverly, that's kind of been the thing with the series and one of the storylines, and KD and the Warriors did get the best of the Clippers over at Staples, led by Clay Thompson as well, and, and we'll talk about his regaining focus, uh, Jonas Jerebko, talking about ocean stuff. Yeah, I mean, the flow. Explain the flow. What does that even flow. mean? I don't know. I, look, I, mean, uh, I was born in St. Croix in the Virgin Islands, um, and seawater is a cure-all remedy, if you didn't know that. I mean, you can use it, like, say you got a stuffy nose, okay. you get in the seawater, you snuff something up, it's like using, like, a nasal, like, uh, luge like smelling or something salt or like something? that, yeah, like, yeah. or or a neti pot, uh-huh. um, cuts, like, seawater is great for cuts, skin ailments, salt water is good for all of that. So, generally speaking, um, Caribbean people use seawater for a whole lot of things. His father, Michael Thompson, is from the Bahamas, okay. played basketball here in South Florida, Maybe seawater is a cure-all for them, too. It's the only thing I could come up with. Whatever it is, it worked. He scored 32 points in 40 minutes. It did a lot of his damage in the first half, uh, definitely in the first quarter of that game. By the way, looking good. The yeah, my got Easter got shirt, got dude. Got it going on. I got back from Disney late last night. I just pulled out a package. I, I bring it up, though. Did you see what Clay wore after the game? I did not. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he wore like a brown T-shirt, kind of like a leathery vest, and then he wore his sunglasses indoors for the local TV post-game interview. Now, he took them off the podium after, but... It would have been interesting to see your take on him. It kind of, to me, if we were sticking with Game of Thrones, he looked like a dude from Dorne. He just yeah. came out there looking like Oberyn, <laughs> Prince Oberyn there, kind of just, uh, the glasses really did it for me. But again, whatever worked for Clay, got back in the shooting thing. Uh, your thoughts there on a 3-1 series now for Golden State? Um, yeah, it's right where they should be. I mean, they gave up a game. I didn't foresee that. I thought it would be a sweep. You kind of had the feeling, or at least you should have, having watched the Clippers stay viable in the Western Conference despite giving up Tobias Harris and that they would that they would be a thorn in the side of Golden State, or at least game to compete with Golden State. Uh I didn't think they'd be able to steal a game. I expected once Kevin Durant really settled into the series, Steve Kerr settled into what was happening between Kevin Durant and and Patrick Beverly, they would get that figured out, get in the ball in some more advantageous situations that was really gonna highlight just how big of a size advantage he had on Patrick Patrick Beverly. They did that in game two. Um, Patrick Beverly defended Durant on 49% of his, of his, uh, of the possessions. Uh, he, he was two for three in game three. He was six for seven on Patrick Beverly, who defended him 33% of his possessions. So in game four, they only had Beverly on him about 4% of the time. Um, so you see once they made a commitment to getting him some easier touches, more advantageous positions. Kevin Durant has been more focused and more streamlined offensively. There's not much Patrick Beverly or anybody for that matter can do with it. No, and then it's one eight series again, maybe even a surprise that it's gone three one so far. Obviously a lot of people thought the Warriors would sweep. One bright spot I would say about watching that game yesterday with Shea Gilgis out oh, yeah. balling out and doing great things there for hey, look, they were playing hard. They had they had to lead briefly for the sure. third quarter. You knew the Warriors were gonna come back, but again, with this doc team, I mean that they they scrap and they, they they stole the game and they kept it close, which is, by the way, if you took the Warriors at nine and a half, 
I might have done that. Um, it was funny because they had 30 seconds left, eight-point game. They need a foul. Curry, Steph ends up with an offensive foul. Right. They miss a shot and they run out the clock. So uh, Clippers ended up covering. So if you took them. There you go. I think if you're a Clippers fan, though, you, you have to be really excited about where you're positioned as a team in terms of, you know, the youth, which, you know, Shea Gillis-Alexander's fourth playoff game, and he was out there looking like a, a – a, a very comfortable star on a big stage. Um, and then pieces like Montrez Howell that are playing great. Lou Williams still looks good. Danilo Gallinari has kind of had this resurgence as a player. Patrick Beverly is the type of guy that every team wants as, as, as the, as the kind of heart and soul guy in their locker room. And you don't really have a bona fide star right now. You've got to be pretty appealing. You have to like your chances going into this offseason to land somebody, um, with some star power. You are LA. You do play in the same building as the Lakers, um, and you are a better your situ your position better right now, and playing harder um, and with more chemistry than some of the other teams that could be free agent destinations. You've got to be excited if you're a Clippers fan. You should be, and you also you're in the playoffs. Everybody thought, oh, one LA team's going in the postseason. It's not the Lakers. You fleece the Lakers at the trade deadline. Yeah, Zubas, Zubas deal, deal was was crazy. So again, things are looking up for for LA, but we all expect Golden State, of course, to move on. So speaking of moving on, the Boston Celtics sweep the Pacers again. This was a Kudos to Indy for fighting it out. No Victor Oladipo. They still, a lot of people thought they might have dropped uh, to a lower seed, which they did eventually, the 4-5 battle. But Boston getting through. One of the big things, of course, Gordon Hayward balling out again, starting to play close to that all-star level, coming off the bench but playing starter-type minutes. Sure. Raja, to me, um, one of the things that's interesting about this Boston team, and I'm interested in getting your take, is like this team is always playing better when they're missing a star or two. And sure. No Marcus Smart. Last year, obviously, no Kyrie, no Gordon Hayward. They get to the Eastern Conference Finals. This year, again, Brad Stevens can do well when he has that sort of small underdog type of mentality or use the injury thing to, to as a carrot to dangle in front of your team. But your overall thoughts here on Boston. Yeah, well, I thought, and I don't mean to be this, I told you so, but I thought that, that some of their offensive woes would, would be helped by the subtraction of Marcus Smart. That's a situation where you've got a lot of mouths to feed. And sometimes when you when you minus one, even though he might not be a headache necessarily, just subtracting one of those guys brings more flow to, to the rest of the guys offensively. Gordon Hayward, you you had to know that this was going to be a long play. If you were a Celtics fan uh, that was out on Gordon Hayward just because he didn't look like himself in November or December, shame on you. That was a catastrophic injury. He won't look like himself until next year. You're just seeing the progression of an all-star player back to hopefully all-star levels. Gordon's going to be fine. My only problem with Boston, it's not really a problem, is is they don't really, even when they're clicking, they don't get up there to the 115, the 120s. They're a grind-you-out type of team. And at some point, the way the game's played now, you're going to have to put up some numbers. And my question is, can they generate that much offense? I know they can beat you in a 108 105 game or a, mm-hmm. or a 97, 93 game. They're going to win a lot of those. They grind you out, and that is a testament to how they play defense. Good for you. But if you catch one of these teams, like let's say a Milwaukee, for instance, or a Toronto, and they've got all these weapons, and Giannis is getting downhill, and the three-point shooters are shooting the ball, and they're able to put up a 115 number, can you manufacture enough points to beat them? And that's my concern with Boston. They may be able to do it. I've said all year, if they're playing well and they're hot, they're as dangerous as anybody in the NBA. So, you know, the question is, can they continue 
to build off of what they did in the first round and, and carry that over into the second round. It's interesting you brought that up because the one thing that I watched the whatever Celtics through the first round, I was actually reminded of how good Kyrie is in the oh. half court, one on one, hitting those teardrop shots and, and having that high arc. But uh, when they get moving further into the postseason, they're probably going to key on him, and then it'll be interesting to your point to see what other ancillary players and role players kind of step. Sure, because what happens? I mean, well, first of all, you see the difference between a team that has a dude and a team that doesn't. Ky- Kyrie is, and sometimes it boils down to that in the NBA, do you have a Damian Lillard, a C.J. McCollum, a Kyrie, a, a guy that can just go off script and get buckets? Kyrie's as good as anybody in the NBA in terms of ISO basketball getting buckets. But Indiana didn't have enough firepower. And to, this was to my original point. You were playing a team, although they were game also just like the Clippers. Nate McMillan did a great job with them. Fantastic story all year losing Victor Oladipo. Not enough players to really ever threaten Boston, yet they were still in almost every game. Yeah. And they couldn't get point. They couldn't score and hang a number on you because they just don't have a guy. Some of these other teams you're going to face have multiple guys. You know, you're talking about Pascal Siakam and Kawhi Leonard and, and, uh, Kyle Lowry. You know, you're talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, and company, although he's the one that makes that work, but a lot of th- three point shooters around, they'll hang a big number on you. If Boston gets in games like that, can they hang offensively? That's my question. Yeah, even though they swept, I think Indy had halftime leads in three of those four games. So again, Kyrie Irving, 22 and a half points per game so far in the playoffs. Again, Gordon Hayward coming off a big game in game four, uh, of course, out in Indy, a place that he knows very well, being a Butler Bulldog. Uh, and they move on, await the winner of the Pistons and Bucks, and Milwaukee going to take care of business, we expect. All right, let's get into a really good conversation. Mm-hmm. And that is the OKC Portland series, where now Portland has a 3-1 series lead. And I want to focus on, on the, you talk about dudes, each team's got a couple of dudes, mm-hmm. but it, it's the zero versus zero matchup. And it's funny because my buddy's a big Rip City fan and he posted up a picture of both Dame and Russ together, both wearing their zeros, of course. And he said, not all their zeros are created hey. equal. Right now, it looks like Dame is having his way so far. Why has he been so successful and why is Russ struggling? So first of all, I read this one all wrong. I thought Portland was going to have a great opportunity. I mean, uh, OKC, OKC to yeah. knock Portland off recent history. Um, uh, speaking kind of for itself with Portland losing there. What I think is happening, what my eyeballs are telling me is happening is that the Portland Trailblazers have controlled the style of play in this series. It's a, it's a jump shooting game. Now both teams hang their head on defense, but offensively, they're shooting jumpers. And if you get caught up in a, in a jump shooting game with them, Damian Lillard, the numbers speak for themselves. 43.9 for the field. Russ is at 36.3. Dame is shooting 44% from the three point line and Russ is shooting 30%. That goes to Damian Lillard. While the next matchup, Paul George and CJ McCollum, they might, they might cancel each other out in a game of, of jump shots. Yep. There's a clear winner in a game of jump shots between the two number zeros and it's Damian Lillard. And so way too often, I see Russell Westbrook and company coming down um, with opportunities to go up maybe eight or nine points in the first quarter at home. Um, and Russ is pulling up for a, a no-pass, off-the-dribble, 18-foot contested jump shot. And while in the flow of the game, you might not think that's 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 much, but boom, here comes Portland pushing it down the other way, and now it's now it's a four-point game. You go the other way, you know, it it it, and the, it ruins the flow of what you're trying to do when you have a team like Portland down at home, and your advantage is in the paint and athletically, you've got five points or six points in the in the pocket already. You go ahead and you you try to really hammer the nail down, man. Put him on the block. 
Um, if 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 your coach, um, what, what's what's his name from Florida, that Billy Donovan? Yep. That's your job is to control that. Your job is to tell Russ, hey man, look, I know you're a pro. I know you're one of the best to, to ever do it. Um, you know, from the point guard position in terms of triple doubling and everything. But here's where your advantage lies. And so if we're up six and we got a chance to go up eight late in the first quarter, what I'd like to do is come bring you off some kind of hawk cut, get you down on the post. Well, I will clear out the other side. There'll be no backside help and you don't live on a fadeaway jump shot. I want you to bury Damian Lillard. If you get an offensive foul going through his chest, we'll live with that. But don't shoot a one-foot fadeaway going away from the basket. And way too often, Russ is settling for shots like that and buying into playing the way that Portland wants to play, uh, and it's they're down 3-1 because of it. You sort of have the, the, the coaching hat on right now saying if you're Billy Donovan to sort of implore that your star do something, how much capital do you think Billy Donovan has right now with Russ to, to go to him and look – Right now, we're down 3-1. If we want to win, we kind of need to change this up right now. And I need you to do this. What's the likelihood Russ listens? Uh, probably not great. I mean, it looks like Russ is out there kind of doing Russ. Or maybe PG needs to step in. I mean, because like, that's the uh, tough thing, right? Here's, that's the question. Russ has always kind of marched to the beat of his own drum. Now, he'll fill up a stat sheet. Um, you know, one ever questions how hard he plays or, or what he gives to the game. But I think a question has been whether he's easy to play with and easy to coach. I don't have the answer to that. I never played with him, never coached him. Um, but if he if he has any chance to be in this series, there has to be a game plan for the way they are going to attack Portland. Portland is doing it to them. Every time C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard gets a chance to go pick and roll with one of their bigs and they can drag Steven Adams away from the rim, they're doing it. And they don't wind up taking a ton of bad shots. Yeah, they're NBA players, so they'll go off script and shoot a shot here and there. But for the most part, they're executing a game plan. And it doesn't look like OKC is executing a game plan. They are coming down, and they are trying to outscore Portland in a jump-shooting game. And that is a bad, bad idea. I would also play around with the idea of sitting Steven Adams to some degree. And they haven't sat him for long stretches, but he has been a liability for them defensively, where he's usually one of the best defensive centers kind of in the league. He's struggling in that high pick and roll. And these guys aren't coming to the rim. They're stopping and popping. And so you might need someone out there. Maybe go small um, with with Grant at the five, scale down a little bit, see if see if that helps you if you don't get punished on the boards. But they've got to make some kind of adjustment. And offensively, man, they have to they have to have a game plan and they have to execute that game plan to have a chance in the in game five. And if they don't, then they'll be eliminated from the postseason and then all the questions will surround certainly uh, OKC and what happened this season. So you talk a little bit about Russ and how he walks to the beat of his own drum, and he's been isolated in OKC. Obviously, you know, you go to that finals appearance with James Harden and Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook out of the Trident. He's the only one left right now. And so there's this thing out there with both he and the media, especially the local media out in Oklahoma City, about him basically dismissing specifically one writer, right? right. One guy out there and it's uh, Barry Trammell for years going to the whole next question thing. It's become a thing now with Rush, especially if, if Barry's going to go, I want to ask this question and then Rush just says next question. So you're talking about dating back to 14 and 15, all those things. And it happened again over the weekend. And we do have that sound there from Russell Westbrook at the podium. First half, both teams struggled offensively as a sort of a slug of the game. Both teams got going in the second half. What happened that sort of reversed the, reverse the, uh, the tone of this game? Next question. You guys did a great job on Lillard in the first half. He didn't score until the last 75 seconds of the half. Were you pleased with the defense you played on him, and, and how did it change when when he got going? 
in this third quarter? It's uh, a good question. Um, not sure. <laughs> so, uh, Trammell's wrote in columns, especially one earlier this month titled, Why I Keep Asking Russell Westbrook Questions. And he said, I keep asking with no hope of getting an answer because the media shouldn't give in to Westbrook's desire to control everything. Um, I mean, you can clearly see he's dismissive off the bat. He's not even listening. He's like, hey, here's a guy. He's asking again. Correct. You could, there, there was a little joke between him and Paul George as soon as the, the, the writer began asking the question. I'm not certain on the whole timeline of this. I, I don't. There's a relationship between athletes and media. If an athlete fears that, feels that a media member wasn't fair to him or wrote some kind of scathing review or something like that, he might not be inclined to really deal with that member of the media much. Right. And I believe an athlete has a right to do that. Um, I don't know that that's what happened here. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know that Barry is a is a Westbrook uh, um, just slammer in the media. I don't know that he's writing uh, pieces on Westbrook that are painting him in a negative light. I will say also that there are questions at times, like the second one he answered, where he just said, I don't know. When you're asking an athlete questions right after an emotional game at times, and you want this in-depth answer, and quite frankly, we haven't had time to digest it yet. We, we don't really have an answer to that. That can happen also. So I just want to be like fair to Russ. I will also then say those guys have a job to do the same way we have a job to do to go out there and play. And it's not fair to the reporter for you to be up there if they're valid questions and they pertain to what happened that night and he's trying to do his job for us to take this approach with him and not give him an answer, thus not enabling him to do his job. I also agree with Steve Kerr when he says that part of the beauty of the NBA is that fans feel like you're accessible. You're accessible. Um, they know what you're thinking. They, they, you know, you've got this great relationship with the media and there's transparency with NBA players a lot of times. And, you know, Steve Kerr's point was the league's in a really good place. We don't want to start setting a precedent where this is what guys are going to do. Um, and that takes away from some of the good things about the NBA. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, Russ, you have no problem sitting up there when things are good, answering questions when things go well, um, and taking credit for them when they do. Things don't go well, and you don't play well, and last night you were terrible in the second half. I'm a Russell Westbrook fan. He was awful in the second half. He was decent in the first half, had one point in the second half, didn't make a field goal. Get your butt up there like a man and answer a question, provided it's a good question right. and you don't think you're being baited into something stupid. I think it's it's just tough because you're already sort of, when you talk about Steve Kerr saying you might be opening Pandora's box, but we're kind of close to that already, the way social media and player media interaction even has changed the last five to ten years because like if you think about the players tribune or like basically athletes now will confide in a writer that they do like you mentioned guys that you maybe don't like right guys that you do like you give them access like like i was in the bay area obviously and marcus thompson right like has has a book on stuff and usually sure guys guy. the kd guy or you know all these other insiders have their guys that they then they use them as the outlet and then when you do a normal scrums and then, then maybe they're a little bit more diplomatic on guys they don't like and, and will at least answer the question. I think that's the tough thing too with Russ is like, again, that sort of OKC bubble. He's in, he's in sort of the more college town. They're the biggest thing in town. He's been there a long time. Sure. Get to the MVP level. Then you start dismissing, you know, maybe I don't like Barry. And then now you have to talk to him again, playoffs on a bigger scale podium. You got to start answering the questions. And Russ is like, I'm just not really having any of it. Um, this speaks to why Russell Westbrook 
has even players in the NBA that think he's overrated. Um, and they will have no problem coming out and saying that. And it, it, it's, it's the attitude with which he kind of operates with, you know, and I, I personally don't necessarily have a beef with it, but it can rub people the wrong way. And I will say this again from a professional level. You have to get up there and do your job. Part of your job is being available to the media and answering the questions to the best of your ability. If there's one that's a very stupid question and there are some that come across that they're just not worth the answer, I've got no problem with an athlete being like, that's, that's a dumb question. You already know the answer to that. Right. Don't ask me that. Very positive. Um, yeah. If I've answered that question three times and you continue to ask it in different forms, I will tell you I've answered that already. That's, I have no problem with that. But when a guy's asking you a question, it's got some thought to it. There's a real answer that you can, you can, you know, thoughtfully, uh, uh give, then I think you should give it. It's part of your job. All right, welcome back to Canell and Bell. Danny off today. Tommy Tran and Rajah Bell here with you. So uh, we're talking a bit about NBA players and refs, and so obviously Rajah here to kind of break some of the down. Let's start with the uh, the Jared Dudley, Jimmy yep. Butler, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid sort of, and I said who high What do you want to know? What you ask me. First off, I mean, you're going to be that guy. I mean, you you know played in the league, and you've been a part of a few. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is that? A 1. Yeah. He bumped him. There was a shove. Now, what happens, and I will take every opportunity to blast refs, um, and I haven't been afraid to say that the NBA has gotten some of these wrong. They had to come out and do what they did with the fines. Once it spills into the stands – You've got another set of rules that you've that you've now broken, okay. and something has to be done because you're always trying to protect against the malice in the palace and a situation like that, protecting uh, your patrons, the people there to, that are there to see the game. And so both the refs and the NBA got this correct. They had to be ejected, although I don't think either push was egregious enough in and of its by itself to to eject someone. I don't think they were they were that flagrant. Uh, once it spills into the fans, the perpetrators, whoever escalated the situation, has to go. And then the NBA has to find them. So I have no problem with this. But just generally speaking, if that doesn't cross the border and wind up in the front row, I'm giving two texts and let's keep it moving because it was not that big of a deal. Look at you. Still in Masters mojo. Yeah. Spilling over to the Patriots. Patriots. You like that, right? Yeah. Um, by the way, after that review, Dudley and Butler toss for us escalators. Again, 25 k for Dudley. Fifteen grand for Butler, and then of course that Joel Embiid, that flagrant one. I like I like what Jared Dudley said when they asked him about it. He was like, "Yeah, I'd do it again. The only thing I'd really change was I might try to get more of my money's worth. <laughs> if I knew I was getting come up with twenty five k, right? I'm with that. If you were going to get twenty five, you might as well get a little bit more of of. I mean, that was pretty. Gave him a little shove. Um, the Joel Embiid shove. You should have just. You should have shoved him to the ground, bro. So we had Jared Dudley up in Stanford for a one night thing he did to help us out with the final four. Uh, Jared Dudley, what, what, what part of his game is keeping him in the league right now? He's smart. He's not as old as you think, number one. Um, he's a smart player, can shoot the ball, good defensively, uh, in, in spurts. I don't know how well he moves at this point. He's played a lot of basketball, but he plays cerebrally. Um, you know, he's a good teammate, a good leader. And so, you know, if you can have him in playoff series with a, with a team full of young guys and he can give you 15 to 20 good minutes of, of, of play and kind of anchor what you're trying to do defensively and keep everybody on the same page as kind of a coach on the floor, that's valuable to, to, uh, NBA franchises, especially right. young ones. So Adrian Wojnarowski, by the way, when we talk about the Nets and Sixers, uh, Brooklyn GM Sean Marks did not like the Embiid flagrant one. Again, should have thought it was a two. So 
more than a message with the ref there on the challenge, you know, intended to uh, message his team on how that uh, was going to be moving forward. And then you have the DeMar DeRozan thing, throwing a basketball toward a game official into the spectator stands. I'll even throw in yesterday watching that Warriors-Clippers game. Uh-huh. In the first half, there were a couple, like three straight times, Draymond Green was in the block and he was yelling, and one! Like, and if you can hear it, if we can hear it, correct. Long, you know that's loud picking up on all the microphones and stuff. And, and I was surprised actually that Draymond didn't get I was a too. tee. So, uh, give me the sense of sort of that player ref relationship and where you think that is sort of, uh, you know, overall right now, especially playoff mind. Um, it's always a contentious relationship. It becomes even more heightened when stakes are on the line, like the playoffs. When you're in the regular season, there is a level of competition that's taking place, but that's not win or go home. So, you know, you would feel like a ref's call if you didn't like it was bad, but it wasn't really affecting whether you ate or not at the end of the day. There can be a feeling like in the playoffs that this is really, you know, you're affecting my livelihood because I'm trying to win a championship now. These, these games are now that much more valuable. And so, you're going to have less time for perceived bad calls by referees. It's just the way it is. Um, refs, I think, are pretty consistent. Uh, I think they are who they are. But players become that much more competitive and are that much more on edge with refs in, in playoff series. Uh, so I don't, I don't really see it as a ref issue in the playoffs necessarily. I think players become more uh, focused and more concerned with either getting or not getting calls in playoffs. And I think the refs have pretty much handled this well. I've seen Spencer Dinwiddie. At the refs pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I, I've seen Draymond at the refs pretty good. And they haven't just been handing out tees left and right. right. They've been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, you know me, I'll get on a ref in a heartbeat, but I, I think they've handled it well. I think in general, the Sixers Brooklyn series has had some misses from, from both the league and I've said it before and the officials. And I think that's why you see Sean Marks. I play with Sean Marks. He can get fiery. But he's not a, 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 a hothead by any stretch of the imagination. When he feels the need to go in there and support his team and try to get at referees after the game, mm-hmm. I, I think Brooklyn, as a fan base and as a franchise, has a right to gripe. The, the Embiid foul, uh, the league coming out with the two-minute review saying that Josh Allen was, or was his name, Josh, what's his name, Josh, uh, Jared Allen, Jared Allen mm-hmm. uh, was fouled. That was a real opportunity for them to potentially win a game. It's a two-point game. He held him on a pick and roll. It's the only thing going on in the middle of the but court. You, goes the you missed that. Throws, yeah. yeah, you missed that. Like, and so I felt like they had a gripe. And I do think that the players respect the fact that Sean Marks went in there and tried to get at those officials. And I would imagine that Sean Marks knew damn well he wasn't getting in that locker room. But everybody in this building, I'm going to show them how we have their back, how how we as a franchise get down for the way they are getting down on the court and the respect that we have for that. Um, so I, I like that a lot. DeMar DeRozan, you throw a ball on the stands, you, you're going to get you're going to get tasked. Anything going from a court oh. into the stands yep. is going to get you some kind of fight. Yeah, he said frustration, thought it was a bad call, of course, ejected uh, after those two texts. The His ball. was not a bad call. That was not a bad call. DeMar DeRozan hit him with his shoulder, spun off of him. I think it was Torrey Craig had been waiting there. Um, he ran through him. The call that I thought was really, really bad yesterday um, was the third foul on Paul George. Mm-hmm. As Seth Curry kind of leaned over to the right to try to draw the charge. And, and um, 
and Paul George kind of sidestepped it. I thought that was a really big foul. I think it swung the way the game was played, and I think they missed that one. You get same officials for the series, or do they no. game to game? No, they rotate from game to game, which is you, you need that. And then on the priority list, as you as a player, you play off game, you walk in, when are you checking who is officiating your game? I never checked. I just would roll out, and when I got out there, I would see who we have, and I'd be like, ah, oh, damn. <laughs> like, no, oh, I'm in for a long night. There are some guys, like the, the coaches, they, they are acutely aware of who they got. It's one of the first things they look at on the score sheet because yeah. they have tendencies, and you know um, you know, what kind of game you'll be in sometimes by the crew that's refing the game. Yeah. Welcome back to Cannell and Bell. We got Raja and Tommy here, of course, in for Danny Cannell. Look, the Raiders reportedly sending their scouts home on an extended holiday break, saying yeah. we're good, don't come back. Uh, Ian Rappaport saying that John Gruden, the head coach, the new GM, Mike Mayock, basically told their scouts to go home but not even come back this week for the draft. Here's the thing. Um, we had Brady Quinn on HQ today, and he says that's not really that uncommon. Like, the scouts have already done their work, pretty much done all the reports and everything, and so – Brady was saying in terms of the NFL, and you have some front off experience, obviously, at the NBA level there with the Cavs, like, like, it's down to the head coach, the GM, maybe the director of college scouting, or whatever, and then, may, and not even the owner sometimes, depending on what kind of owner you've got, because right. you don't want him either leaking out stuff knowing. So, this to Brady, and I talked to him about, it, like, wasn't as big of a deal as the actual story coming out, that it leaked out, and that there was even out there. So, it's interesting to see that, that, you know, we have our guy saying it's not a big deal. The bigger deal is that, that you know, some of this news leaked out today. Yeah. That, I mean, I've never been in a front office in, in the NFL. In the NBA, um, we had, what, three scouts that did European and college basketball in, in the States that were outside of our, our front office. There were three of us in the front office that did a lot of scouting here within the United States and then watching film on European players. So that was six people. You had your general manager. Um, David Griffin was seven, uh, and, and then there was one other person in the room that was helping to organize. So there were, there were probably eight people at any given time, maybe nine, an analytics guy in the room, breaking down all of these players and, and charting them on your draft board. So there were nine sets of eyes on it. We were there up until the draft. The draft was a, was we built up through the draft. We might have taken a break the day before once we got all of our work done. Guys might have got to play golf or something like that, but everyone was there, uh, in the draft room leading up to the draft just so if anything went down, if there were any phone calls made, if anyone needed to check a box or, or, or circle back, uh, that you could do that. I imagine I, I, maybe this is, is normal in, in an NFL front office. Um, if you've got guys that you don't trust to be leaking information, right. it, that's a bigger problem that speaks to an organization, an organizational thing. Maybe those are guys you don't necessarily want around if it, but that's not the way they do it in the NBA. That's a little rough because, like, you're right about the trust thing. And that was part of the report. There's like they don't know who to trust. A couple of interesting things about their situation is twofold. Their old GM Reggie McKenzie obviously is no longer with the team, but his right. twin brother Raleigh is a scout for this team. Right? Yeah, okay. So, so yeah. some people may be saying that it's Raleigh out there. You know, I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying it's been <laughs> floated out as a possibility. And when you talk about who you can trust, the scouts thing. The other thing is obviously a lot of talk about this draft. Okay, the Cardinals have the number one pick for, um, you know, in front of them. They may potentially take another quarterback. Right. But the Raiders are right there in terms of under the microscope of what they have. They have three picks in the first round, four in the top 35 because they traded away Khalil Mack. They traded away Amari Cooper. And John Gruden had his 10-year contract, all that money, $100 million, and they did not perform up to expectations so this is a really big draft for them to come out and fill those needs 
to try to be a playoff contending team again. Yeah, I mean, I have two schools of thought. First of all, when you have that many picks, there are a lot of possible scenarios in terms of packaging things sure. and moving things and information at your fingertips, which is what your scouts are you would feel would be kind of critical to those decisions being made. And and some of them are made draft day or day two of an NFL draft. So not having them available to you seems strange to me. The other school of thought could be, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, you know? And, and so if it's just going to be Gruden and Mayock making these decisions and whoever else is close to them in their front office, you, you might not want to be distracted by the input of a lot of voices because what happens, and this is a valid point, scouts like their guys, Mm-hmm. Right, You usually universally agree, at least in the NBA locker room, we have to sit down and break it down and universally agree that Danny Cannella is going to be higher rated on our board than Tommy Tran. We'll all come to a consensus on that. But trust me, scouts have their guys that they've scouted all year that they've written these glowing reports on, right. and they'll they'll champion for a guy if they if they need to. You know, that's human nature. Uh, and so maybe it's the too many cooks in the kitchen. You know, if I were the, if I were the Raiders, though, too, remember when um – Joe Dumars got dinged because Adrian Wojnarowski was they were like connected, and then the league was trying to flesh out. So they did that little email thing, where right? They're trying to leak out who's trying to figure out who released who information. Right. Maybe they maybe the Game of Thrones that thing and throw out little mixed message emails and figure out who's who's leaking out some of the other stuff to the media. So. Yeah. Well, generally, look, generally speaking, Tommy, with any, if you're the boss, if you're the guy running it, yep. you, you have to have people you trust. You want your guys. Right. You you want to know that those guys. There was no leaks coming out of Cleveland. Griffin surrounded himself with people who he trusted. We were privy to all kind of information. That stuff wasn't getting leaked because he had his people in there, the right. ones he trusted. And so they've got to develop a staff like that in Oakland. Can't get to Vegas soon enough there if you're the Raiders. All right, staying in the NFL, Tom Coughlin calling out um, Jags for missing voluntary workouts, and then Jalen Ramsey responding. So, again, Thursday, Coughlin telling reporters, quote, we're close to 100% attendance, and quite frankly, all of our players should be here. Now, again, the CBA says if club officials not – allowed to make players feel like they have to attend any specific workout. and But uh, that's basically what Coughlin did. You're talking about Jalen Ramsey, obviously one of the premier defenders in the league, a guy that's obviously outspoken. And again, these are sort of, you know, Ramsey here um, talking about quote tweets, fully aware and voluntary, meaning I don't have to be there, but they know exact reasons I am not. My teammates know it's all love and know I'll be ready when it's time with the 100 emoji. Again, different than basketball. God, it, it, we didn't have these voluntary workouts. You, you just showed up when you showed up. And there were guys within your organization that you knew would come in four days before training camp started and look like they were in fantastic shape. They were pros, pros. They had been home doing their job all summer. They had been working on a part of their game and their body, and they were ready to go. There were other guys that you knew if you left them alone all summer, they'd come in 25 pounds overweight and be using training camp to get in shape, which is a bad idea. Those guys, the latter, you want them there early. Right. You want them there so that your training staff can have their hands on them, your strength and conditioning people, your player development guys. They're not going to do their work on their own. We need to have them here to get their work done. Football's a different model, but what I'll say to it is, first of all, I don't think that it's as integral for a Jalen Ramsey 
to be there as it would be for a quarterback, let's say, to kind of get a groove with his receivers, especially if you got a bunch of moving pieces offensively to kind of get their rhythm down, their timing down. Uh, Jalen Ramsey seems to be one of those guys, and he even talked about it in, in, in his in his tweet. He, he's there working, and his agent said, you know, they're fully aware he's not taking part. He's in his hometown in Nashville spending time with his daughter, um, and he's working out. And so if he comes back in shape and he's giving you no reason to think that he would come back out of shape mm-hmm. – um, I don't have a huge problem with this. And I know for a fact, like Tom Coughlin saying this is not prompting Jalen Ramsey to get on a plane and be at Jags voluntary workouts. Well, it's just one of those like new school, old school things too. Like you've seen Sean McVay asking the same, same thing. Right. Tom Coughlin, obviously old school disciplinarian, more of the, the drill sergeant type of approach right there saying, Oh, it's, it's, it's a voluntary workout, but really that, that translates. Yes. Yeah, mandatory voluntary. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Raj, remember I told you about that clay fit from yesterday? Right. There it is. Hey, yo. There it is. I love that. Glasses, indoors, and then, like I said, T-shirt and vest. T-shirt, too baggy. Vest, man. Big. Yeah. What's your medium on, bro? Come on, clay. I don't know. What telling you, bro. Like, Adam Scott at the Masters with the big pleated pants. Like, I feel like there's this push to bring the big oversized stuff back. I want to leave that in my rear view, man. Not about it, dude. I'm, I show I'm, you my I'm, wedding. It, I showed you my wedding tux. You'd be appalled. I'm not trying to see those days anymore. I want all. Don't even know what tapered man. Nah, like seven pants. buttons, legs this wide, just bad. Those are some big bad. suits back then. Yeah. When you look at those draft days too, man, those uh, those Terrible. were quite interesting. And even these NFL guys, which we'll see this week, they're right. going to be nice, all fitted. Mm-hmm. There's there's a too small borderline. They're gonna, yeah, they're well, yeah, guys can do the, the slim stuff. Correct. Yeah. Not offensive linemen when you're getting Correct. guys there. Correct. Speaking of, uh, NFL guys, Russell Wilson, good, got the big deal, highest paid player in the league. Yep. Um, putting out that video with Ciara in bed saying, we got the deal done, we're gonna wake up, yeah, be all good. And then for Easter holiday, he gets braids. He, he's getting things, uh, done here as Ciara, Another video? We got another you know, video? It's the weekend, your wife, if you're over here braiding your hair. That's what goes on with you. What's going on? Come to my hair yeah, shop. CC shop. CC hair shop. Hey, baby, can't we turn your oh, hair? Oh, I'm sorry. Right? I see All this. over the place now. <laughs> Let's get it. <laughs> oh, my God. Finished product for y'all. Yee! <laughs> Yee! Let's go. <laughs> hey, hey. Listen, I find it comical. I'm a huge fan. I, I, and I thought that guy, the, the, the video of the announcement of his, his, his deal was straight ball status. R- Russ is in these videos. He sounds like a different person. Have you noticed that? He's, he speaks with a different vernacular. Which it's a weird, level of slang vid- that he both does. Both videos were that with. way, by the way, because the one in bed, he had that little drum. Yeah. He's, he's speaking with a whole different tone. There's a tenor to his voice. He is a little drawn out, a little southern drawn. It doesn't speak the way he speaks at press conferences. I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting. I don't know why. I don't know why it tickles me. I just think Ciara. it's. Cause you, okay, look, cause some guys, some guys, you know, you, I can you, do it. Well, no, but I, I can. Like, I'll so I, do you, you, can you do it or do you do it? I, I will do it. Yeah. Like, no, well, I, and especially because I was born. Your voices around their significant others that we're trying to say? No, I speak, oh. I, I speak this way around my wife, but I, I, I was born in the Virgin Islands. So if you get me around a bunch of people from the Virgin Islands, yeah. there may be a time where I might drop into speak inclusion or something like that. Okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. I could, I would change that up. I just think it's interesting to see Russ because there's this other side of him that I imagine, um, that most, most people outside of his friends and teammates don't don't really know because he's as buttoned up and polished at a microphone right. as as there is, you know. And then you get those little clips, and I just find it really interesting. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't know, obviously, like 
only follow Russell Wilson like we do, obviously, to cover him here on HQ. Right. And I don't, I don't follow him on social media, so I don't know. But I'm, what I'm saying is like, we all have, like, there's like, I have a couple friends when I grew in high school and college where like, they're the big tough macho guy. Uh-huh. But then you know when they had phone conversations, like, hey baby. Oh, you. <laughs> Yeah, I love you too. <laughs> like, like straight up. That's what goes on with you. What's going on? No. Come to my hair shop. Yes. CC hair shop. I think this is less the big guy turning into the lovey dovey guy and more, more. Okay. Like, there's a, there's a way I have to speak to do this show. Right? Right. And, you know, there's a way that I would speak if I'm sitting around with my boys. Chat. We've had a few drinks, okay. uh, and we're talking, we're talking smack. And you get to see in these videos a little bit of that. That's Russ's side, I would imagine, where it's a little more barbecue and a little less podium. All right. When you get that $65 million signing bonus at 140 extension, you can make whatever videos you want. Yeah, yeah I'm with that. Good. So, <laughs> Russ, keep doing you, Russ. Um, Aaron Judge, mm-hmm. news alert, another Yankee hurt this is a 13th mess. yankee on the injured list again they don't call disabled list anymore it's the injured list um and it's names that you know miguel Andujar, Didi gregorius gary sanchez their ace luis severino giancarlo stanton there comes a point though man i mean look there are teams that go through the injury bug this is like this is more than the bug this is like the flu man. this is like the injury I'm, plague like the cdc's worst nightmare yeah this is like uh i don't know um you have to start, first of all, there are teams that can just have this terrible luck in terms of injuries. And when it hits, it, it, it hits. You know, when it rains, it pours, and, and guys are going down left and right. Next man up mentality has to be put into effect. I, I don't know how many people they have on the roster or, or where you stand in terms of depth at each position. That's above my pay grade in terms of baseball. But if you're the Yankees management team, you do have to be questioning whether this is coincidence or or whether you have the right medical staff, strength and conditioning program, um, masseuses, things like that. These are there are a lot of injuries here that are soft tissue injuries. Yeah, you're talking about obliques and you're talking about lats and you're talking about pulled you know muscles. And so you know I think you're, it would just be the prudent thing to do to do a little you know more research and a little more. You know, looking at, at, at the programs that you have in place there. I don't think I'm placing blame on anyone. I'm not saying that that's the case in, in the Yankees, uh, uh, injury situation. I just think if you are in the front office or you are in the management, uh, part of that team that you have to be doing your due diligence to figure out why this is happening to your club right now. Is this just a set of poor circumstances, um, or, or is there more to it? Despite all that, at 11 and 10, they're just behind the Rays there in the division. So despite all the injuries, Aaron Boone and company still within reach there. And for Yankees fans, hoping that they get healthier sooner rather than later. All right, a couple things before we wrap things up here, and that's tonight's NBA yeah. games. Rockets and Jazz. Houston balling out right now. Everyone's singing their praises, saying, hey, they might catch the Warriors in round two. But first tonight, obviously that Jazz game on the road. Do you think they close it out? I do. 3-0 is a bad hole to be in. Sometimes your spirits can be really down. I imagine the Jazz will come out, play tough. That is a, a really tough building to play in in the regular season. In the playoffs, it just gets amplified even more. But in a player's heart of hearts, I don't know that there's ever been a 0-3 comeback. And they and know. You really want to then win it, go and on go, the road, go to the, back, Exactly. Right? So there'll be a point that Utah will stop fighting 
if they come out to fight, there'll be a point where they stop fighting and probably let it go. If you can withstand James Harden going 0 for 15 from the field, 3 for 20 um, as, as a total game, and 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 win if you're Houston, yep. um, you're looking good right now. You're playing some really good basketball. Yeah, it's crazy. He did not hit his player prop, but obviously the Rockets still took care of business and they got things done. And then you got Bucks and Pistons, so we finally got to see Blake, although – Still not sure if he's a hundred percent. Whether they need three more Blakes or not it really didn't matter because because Giannis and the Bucks they're balling out. One thing I did look at the uh, last game again we talked about it before and you and I have talked about it on HQ Lopez, Ilyasova, and Miritich in that last game all hit three threes apiece. That is the recipe for them to move far. Absolutely, it? it's kind of the recipe that. You know, I love Steven Adams, but when you've got Russ who doesn't really shoot and he likes to attack the bucket and stuff, you, you have to find a big that's going to space the floor. And they identified that there in, in, um, in Milwaukee with Giannis and his style of play and what type of players you have to have around him. And it is those bigs that can really space the floor, knock down threes. They'll win tonight. I'm not worried about that. Right. The question is, how much longer do they have to be without Malcolm Brogdon, yep. who is another really good playmaker for them, good defender, um, can facilitate offense, play out of pick and roll. And then Pau Gasol, I don't, I don't know what type of shape he's in when he comes back, but man, that's another seasoned guy who's been through championship runs, has played a high level of basketball. And when you add him to that mix, Milwaukee can be really dangerous. All right. Before we leave, if they don't have Malcolm Brogdon against the Celtics, Milwaukee still gets through. Yes or no? Yes. I picked him to go. So I can't, I can't get off of him now. The Celtics are playing better though. Um, and I've also said that if the Celtics get hot, that they can play with anybody in the NBA and beat anybody. But I think that number, when Milwaukee is playing well, yep. is closer to 115, 112 than it is to 100. Yeah. And that poses a problem. For All right. 30 seconds left. Game of Thrones, episode two, biggest takeaway for you. Oh, a, oh I have a theory on what's going to happen. Oh. Yeah, I, I think that um, Arya Stark winds up killing the Night King, posing as Bran Stark. In her like faceless yeah, yeah. man type of thing, yeah. I think that she winds up sitting in the chair. The White Walker, uh, I mean the the Night King, uh, Night King yeah. approaches because he wants Brant, and then Dang. she is the one with full theory. Story. Yeah, my just thing with Arya is asking Gendry, asking for more weapons than one. <laughs> That's Canel and Bell. We'll see you, everybody. <laughs> Have a good one. We'll see you later. <laughs>